Ben Charrington was dealt a lousy hand. He's been looking at that hand for months. He's realized it's gotten even worse. And there's no way he was going to play that hand. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. And this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. Happy to have you here every morning. Grateful to have you. Not taken for granted in the slightest. Major League Baseball's trading deadline came and went without the Pirates doing anything. This was yesterday at 4 p.m., a few hours before their 6-5 loss to the Brewers. They rallied to tie a couple of times, lost it late. They'll be home all week after that, beginning tonight against the Cubs, 7.05 p.m. first pitch. Chad Cool versus John Lester. I'll be there. Looking forward to it. No, for real. For real. I'm looking forward to everything that this team is about to do, not just for the remainder of this already completely lost season, but in terms of what Charrington is going to do as GM. He's not rebuilding. I can't say that often enough. It's not a matter of semantics. They don't fear the word. There's no one in the organization who's afraid to use the word. They just literally don't believe that that's what they're doing. And if anything, yesterday's deadline affirmed that. There's a very common perception, and this isn't just of Pittsburgh baseball fans. I think this is fans of all sports everywhere, that you're either all in or you're all out. Everything in this world now has to be done in extremes. You're either going like the San Diego Padres and giving up absolutely everything to win right this second, or you're completely tanking and selling off every piece that you have, and there can't be anything in between. The situation that Jarrington faced going into this deadline was the same one, basically, maybe a little bit worse, as I was intimating earlier, than when he came aboard. Because the number one issue of the Neil Huntington-Kyle Stark management era, as I had only pointed out, oh, about a billion and a half times while they were still around, was that they were crushing the minor league system. And now that barren wasteland has been left for Charrington to clean up, and there's never a quick way to do that. You know, Charrington was asked about some of the activity that occurred at yesterday's deadline, meaning the Padres. And he made a joke at one point, yeah, I know there was one team that was really, really active, and everybody's been talking about what San Diego did. And they've also been talking, in fairness, to what San Diego's been doing all season. It's not just Fernando Tatis. They've had a lot of players playing really well. They're an exciting team. But Charrington took an extra step, I thought, to stress that the Padres got that way after years of building up their system. He doesn't see that as rebuilding. He doesn't see that as any kind of 
massive implosion that has to occur. The way he views it is that when he has assets to sell off and he gets the price that he wants back, he'll make the move. He's not going to do it before then. He's not just going to create a label that says, Hey, everybody, I am rebuilding. And then the store is open and come get my players. And oh, by the way, I know half of them are hurt and the other half aren't producing particularly well. But it doesn't matter because I've announced to the universe that I am rebuilding. So come on in and get my guys. And, you know, I'm like a pawn shop. I'll just take whatever it is that you offer me. Whatever it is you got, I'll take it. Here's Josh Bell, 37 homer, 114 RBI guy. He's struggling right now, but I'm rebuilding. So you just come right on up to the counter and tell me what your best price is. Oh, a completely middling prospect? Sure, why not? Because I'm rebuilding. I think this is what people want the guy to do. Declare what you mean. Declare what you're intent is here. Be honest with people. The guy actually is being honest. If he was looking for some semantics way out of this, he would just tell everybody he's rebuilding and everyone would go, ah, you're being honest. Meanwhile, he'd still be doing the same thing, which is hanging on to his assets until they have the value that he wants in order to get real pieces into the system, maybe even into Pittsburgh, that can make a significant difference for the future. But you know what? I went and asked anyway. I asked Charrington for maybe the 10th or 20th time for all I can keep track of why he won't discuss rebuilding versus building and what he's actually doing. Here's the exchange from yesterday. Yeah, well, I, I've used the word build. I'll continue to use it. It's, it's actually the word I, I believe is accurate because, you know, that's what we're working to, working to do. We're, we're working to build a winning team. We, we believe some of the pieces of that are here. Um, we, know that, we know there's a lot we have to do to get better. Uh, but certainly that includes uh, performance of our major league team. It includes, you know, individual players getting better. It includes me. It includes all of baseball operations and every activity we have. We, we just have to keep getting better uh, to build that winning team. And then along that way, there's a lot of things that go into that. Uh, you know, we've talked about evaluation. We've talked about development, deployment. Acquisition is one of those things, and that's what you're referencing now. Um, acquisitions can happen at lots of different times of the year. And I think the key is to, um, you know, really focus and pursue on the ones where there's a clear return, a clear return that's helping the pirates. And if that doesn't exist, then, you know, we got to be disciplined enough to be patient and wait, wait until it does. And, um, you know, for, for maybe, maybe a variety of reasons, we just didn't, didn't find opportunities this July that we felt uh, really moved the pirates forward. Uh, there'll be lots uh, more opportunities to do that, and we'd much rather uh, we'd much rather hold than you know make trades that you know we're not confident in uh, that later come back and and bite us. So um, you know, but 
uh, to your point, yeah, like we, we know that acquisition will be important. That'll happen in different kinds of ways over time. Uh, this won't be the last chance. Be that one person on your block who speaks about the local baseball club from an informed, educated perspective. Rip them. I mean, go nuts. Criticize them, whatever. But at least if you're interested, I say this all the time, but if you care, at least find out. You know, at least find out what it is that they're thinking or what they're trying to do. Instead of being like 90% of the public and just getting it wrong. Have whatever opinion you want. Trash them. Trash Charrington. Trash Shelton. Trash Nutting to your heart's content. But at least get it right. Understand what it is that they're trying to do. The ultimate condensed version of this, if you want to share this with people who are casual observers who say things about the pirates that are incorrect, is this. A new team president came aboard and a new GM came aboard, both of them with the promise and the understanding that they can spend when they feel the time is right. From there, that was left to Charrington. Charrington looked at the minor league system that he has, he looked at the major league roster that he has, he looked at the potential trade pieces that he has, and he went, "Uh uh-uh, not now. This wasn't the owner unilaterally imposing some low payroll. It just wasn't. I know that makes for much better radio than what I'm giving you right now. The problem is, is what I'm telling you is the actual truth. The owner is cheap. The owner has his cheapness issues. But that's not what happened here. This team president and this GM came on from pretty significant positions outside the Pirates, and they came on with the understanding and the agreement that this was how this is going to be. Charrington, everywhere he's been, has prioritized building up his minor league system. And then from there, spending as needed to ensure those players stick around for a real competitive window. My friends, this ain't it. Okay, what you're seeing right now ain't it. And had Charrington went and spend another, I don't know, 10, 20, even $30 million, would that have made a difference here? No. No, not compared to what that could mean and how that could translate in the future if he builds up a minor league system and he controls players' rights for six full years before they go into free agency. That's what he's about. That's what the Pirates are about. Doesn't mean they'll pull it off. Doesn't mean they're immune from criticism. Doesn't mean they're not going to make some pretty ugly mistakes along the way. But you know what? Yesterday, they didn't. And I really believe that they would have. When I was speaking with you yesterday on this show, the one name that I threw out there, you'll recall, as a potential trade bait guy, was Jacob Stallings. And as we saw with the Mets and a couple other teams, there were catchers in demand. There were teams that needed a player at that position. It didn't work out. I don't even know if Stallings was on anybody's radar. But the reason that I pushed for him 
lines up with everything else that you've heard here, and that is he would have been sold at highest value. That's what you want to do. You don't go trading a Bell, a Reynolds, a Newman, any of these guys, when they're all batting around 200, especially when you believe, based on their track record, that they're not going to keep doing that, that they're going to be better players and that you have their rights for several more years, certainly with Newman and Reynolds. Especially when you believe that those players are going to be better, that they have the track record to back that, and that when you're going to have their rights the way you do with Reynolds and Newman for several more years, you know, you stick by them. You don't just give them away because you've declared something. I like the day that Charrington had yesterday, even if he made not a single headline, because he didn't succumb to any kind of public pressure to declare something. And best of all, he didn't succumb to any kind of pressure to make a move that wouldn't have been a good one. To repeat, yet again, if he had a chance to move Stallings, if he had a chance to move an Eric Gonzalez or somebody else who was at peak value, that's when you do it. If you can. It's got to take two. Very clearly, that wasn't there. He didn't force anything, and he didn't force anybody out at a low price. That, to me, is the sign of a significantly better general manager than the one who preceded When we come back, a little bit of football. Welcome back. The Steelers are off today. Labor agreement. Everybody's getting Tuesdays off through what would have been the preseason. They'll be back at it tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. with a full practice. And I'll be back over there on Thursday. Looking forward to it. I haven't had a chance to get over there in a bit. One of the many things that I'll be watching for will be the dynamic that exists between a couple of the more dynamic rookies from this draft class and the veterans who they look to be positioned to be replacing, if not right away, and actually not right away, then the following season in the vital second year. Mike Tomlin says that all the time. It's always about the second year for players. There's that big step that they're supposed to take. Chase Claypool's made quite the name for himself already over there. Ben said himself, Ben Roethlisberger this time, not Ben Charrington. Sorry. Ben said that it's going to be impossible to keep him a secret. There's just uh, too much that he's doing over there and too many people that are seeing it, noticing it, appreciating it. He's got that kind of talent. And if the offense does, in fact, create real opportunities for him, not necessarily as part of some starting three or even, you know, four wides or whatever it is, but if there's, 
regular opportunity for him to be involved in the offense, drop a couple plays for him, get him the ball, see what he can do, especially in the red zone. That's going to be a really, really good thing for this organization moving forward. It's also going to be yet another kick out the door for Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju, of course, coming off a really, I don't even call it mediocre, less than mediocre 2019, is going to be a free agent after this season. If he has the kind of bounce-back year that a lot of people are expecting, that's going to price him out of the Steelers' range. And I would be fairly certain that the Steelers aren't going to be shedding an excessive amount of tears over that if they still have in their fold, as they will, Claypool along with Deontay Johnson and James Washington. They're going to have a, a pretty good wide receiving core with or without him. But it's a nice dynamic that's in place for 2020. You know what I'm saying? It, just think about that. That push is going to be there for Juju, not just off the field in the sense of how much money can he make next year. And let's not pretend that that's not a thing. It is. It is. Not just for Juju, for everybody. They're all aware. Every last one of them is aware of the money angle when it comes to a really finite career in the NFL. But you also have Juju getting that push on the field, which is a wholly different thing. Now when he's taking the huddle, he's looking across from somebody who just might be better than he is. I'm not saying he is now, but maybe he will be meaning Claypool. He might see Ben develop an instant chemistry, as I'm expecting, by the way, with Deontay. He might see Deontay as someone who is out there running A.B.'s old routes and Ben is hitting them regularly and thinking, man, you know, that, that could have been me. He might see James Washington being the guy who's making the deep plays, who's stretching the field. When, in fact, when Juju came into the league, he was that guy. Yeah, some of his plays were big breaks off the line of scrimmage, but there were also a couple of deep passes that Juju just got under and broke. And now maybe that'll be somebody else. That's a really good dynamic. That's what I'm getting at here. But you know what? It's not just on offense. It's not just on offense. But before I get to the other component in this discussion, this segment, of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our new sponsors at Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. That's a personal injury law firm right here in western Pennsylvania that represents injured people in automobile accidents, workers' comp, medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG, as they're known, pride themselves in doing what they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. And they've been doing that for 80 years. That's a pretty rare tenure for any law firm in the region, and it's why they're as acclaimed and respected as they are. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. And you can learn more by visiting lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. The number again, 
842-5454. The other component to this, I think, can play out on defense. I really do. I, I If you look at T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree as being set in stone, as bookend edge rushers, you are 100% correct. However, however, they don't stay on the field all the time. They didn't. Remember all those times you got irritated and wondered why Anthony Ciccolo was out there? It's because they don't take 100% of the snaps. The position's too demanding for that. There's too much going on. You'll see one or the other go straight to the sideline after a certain play. And the replacement outside linebacker standing there ready to run in. And yeah, more often than not, it was Chick. Now this year, the thinking was maybe you'll see more of Ola Adeni, maybe even Tuzar Skipper. That isn't what's happened at this training camp. It's been about Alex Highsmith. He was a third-round pick out of a really small school and everything else, and everybody was wondering where... You know, what the Steelers were doing taking this guy, and it's looking more and more like they did really, really well with this pick. And I understand he's yet to play an NFL game here, but we're speaking in the time that we're speaking, right? If Highsmith gets out there on any kind of regular basis, and I'm now expecting that, especially the way Jerry Olsavsky, the outside linebackers coach, has spoken about him, and his maturity and his ability to process the playbook and the expectations of him, not just in getting to the quarterback, but also sealing the edge on the run. Something that took Bud a while, by the way. If that continues to play out like that, that's going to push Bud out of here. They say that with absolutely no joy or no... uh, advocation of any kind. If Bud were to stay here for the next two, three years, the Steelers would be a better defense, but there's a really good chance that he won't. He's on the franchise tag, of course. But at some point, you either give the guy a contract or you don't, and he's gone. And I think that might be the kind of thing that ends up happening with Bud if Alex Highsmith keeps up that push. But just like the offensive thing that I described for you, there's a real healthy scenario here for the Steelers. And that is that you have this young guy who's pushing Bud on the field. Bud has the motivation, the intensive motivation to build up another great year like the one he had last year because he's going to, oh my goodness, talk about breaking the bank. I mean, He's already done that. He's you know, he's cleared more than 25 million here over the last season and the coming season. He, he's doing okay in life, but I'm talking about something way beyond that. That's a really nice healthy situation for the Steelers. I mean, I didn't even mention Anthony McFarland, but the running back that the next pick in the class could end up having a similar impact on that room. Even setting aside that James Conner can't stay on the field, how about the push on Benny Snell? You think Benny Snell likes or appreciates the fact that the Steelers went out and drafted another running back right there in that same round the following year? Hey, what was I? 
No, what was so bad about me? These are good, good situations for this team in 2020 and arguably beyond. When we come back, a little bit of hockey. NHL trudges on inside its double bubbles up there in Canada. Boston Bruins were eliminated last night in double overtime, 3-2 by the Tampa Bay Lightning on a Victor Hedman wrister from the left circle that got through a Pat Maroon screen and beat Yaro Halak and sent Zdeno Chara and everybody else looking very sad off the ice. Chara said afterward he's not certain about whether or not he'll come back next year, given that he'll be turning 86 years old this winter. The Bruins are the team that I've been citing for a while as more of my model as to how the Penguins can build around their core than maybe any other team in hockey. And honestly, nothing that I saw here really changed that. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. If you're in need of food assistance, or if you'd just like to support a wonderful cause, Eliminating hunger in our region. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell those first three words out too, no abbreviations. pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. The Bruins have, for years now, worked through that same cast, that same very familiar group, with Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Chara, of course, David Krejci, who, by the way, had a really, really good playoff, and Tuka Rask. And then Tuka picked up and left. Didn't have much of a reason for it, and I know everybody just falls all over themselves to say, oh, I really respect what he did. Well, at least hear what his reason is and try to gauge it first. You know, he is employed by a hockey team. He's working with a hockey team, and he was in the safest place on earth, meaning a bubble. So he wasn't risking anything by going there. He just bailed. He pulled the chute. And after all the years that he's been there and has done what he's done in Boston, including winning a cup, uh, maybe he owed the team a little bit better than that as well. I... Don't look at the Bruins as having flopped on goaltending, but I also looked at the Bruins as having had a major piece removed early on that was going to throw them off their game. Tuca's a big part of what they do. Tuca's a big part of what they do in the regular season. They're an attacking, aggressive, physical team that comes right at you, like in your face, and when you lose your goaltender in hockey or when you lose faith in your goaltender, and again, only the Bruins can answer whether or not they did that in Halak. Halak wasn't terrible. 
he also just wasn't great either. We've seen Halak be great. The Penguins have certainly seen Halak be great at different times. This wasn't that. And I think it threw the Bruins off. At the same time, the Lightning ascended to a level that I naively expected them to reach last season when, of course, the Blue Jackets blew them out in the first round. The Lightning went out and built up a third line that comes with a little bit more feistiness in addition to the ability to score and made themselves more of a balanced team, bearing in mind they still don't have Steven Stamkos. So they haven't been at full strength either. But a lot of their guys, uh, the second-tier names, if not necessarily second-tier players like Braden Point, Anthony Sorelli, guys like that have, 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 have stepped up and had really, really good playoffs for them. I still believe that out of all the teams that made it to this round in the East, the one that's the most likely to make it to the final are the Islanders. And that's just because they're the one team, even more so than Tampa, that has found a total playoff mode. Like they got just the right combination of focusing 100% on defense and not making turnovers while also being opportunistic and scoring. It's a safe formula, but safe can work in playoffs. It has for a very long time. And the Islanders are built from the back out. And when I say that, I'm also including their forwards because of the way they come back. I think the Islanders are going to be the team but I'm going to stubbornly stick by my avalanche, who had uh, quite the nice bounce back last night and made that a series again over in the West. I just The Avs just have so much going on. I know they lost their goaltender, too. I mean, he didn't bail on them, Philip Grubauer, but he got hurt. And that's going to be a difficult thing to overcome, but my goodness, what a I just, until the abs are out, I'm sticking by the abs here. I appreciate you listening to this. We will be back tomorrow. Thank you. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.